The Fake Show podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Stephan, North Fifth Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Retired NASA astronaut and International Space Station Commander Terry Virts is standing by right now because I wanted to talk to him about his amazing career in space and for us space nerds, the NASA spacecraft that is nearing 430,000 miles per hour as it gets closer to the sun. Commander, welcome to the program. It's an honor to have you today. Hey, Jim. Good to be there. I was just out in Las Vegas uh, doing a talk at the Center. Wow, yeah, a lot going on here right now with the F1 races and, and the upcoming Super Bowl oh, yeah. and everything else. I've always found your perspective to be interesting because you rose through the ranks as a fighter pilot. You would then become an experimental test pilot. What does that program entail? So uh, I flew F-16s for about a decade in the Air Force, and I went to Edwards Air Force Base near Las Vegas yeah. to be a test pilot, and that's a very different thing. As a fighter pilot, your job is you know, to go out and do air-to-air, air defense, or to go out and put bombs on target. You're what's called operational. As a test pilot, your job is to take that hat off and figure out what's wrong with the airplane. What can we do better? Is this new software that we wrote working? Is this, is the airplane, like, will a pilot be able to fly this plane? So as a fighter pilot, if, something, if you miss the target with the bomb, it was your fault. But as a test pilot, if you do a practice run and you try and drop a bomb and the bomb misses, it's not your fault, it's the airplane's fault. <laughs> You're trying to find out how to make the, how to make the airplane better. But it was, it's a very different experience and culture. Yeah, and then you're selected as a space shuttle pilot by NASA in, what, uh, 2000? That's right. You were a pilot on the space shuttle Endeavor. Tell me a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah, that was um, the height of of my career as a pilot. Um, I had to wait a long time because of the Columbia accident and a lot of things. Um, yeah. It was a long wait, but eventually I got to finish building the space station. Our mission was the final assembly flight, we call it, in the in the sequence. And uh, we brought up Node 3 and Cupola. It was the only shuttle flight to bring up two modules on the same uh, flight. It was like a living module for the astronauts on the space station. And the Cupola is a seven-windowed observational module that is just everybody's favorite place in space. Um, You go out, you can see the planet, you can see the galaxy. It's the coolest place to be on the space station. So that was um, my first flight. It was two weeks. Uh, Like you said, I was the pilot, which really means co-pilot. Like on the airliner, I would have been the guy in the right seat, the first officer. And the captain was uh, George Zamka, Marine Mm -hmm. pilot. And then I I went back about four or five years later and flew with the Russians on the Soyuz, and that was a 200-day flight. So I did a two-week flight on the shuttle and 200-day on the Soyuz. You assumed the role of commander on the International Space Station, and like you say, you're up there for months at a time. How does that change your perspective about Earth being up there and and looking at the planet spin so many times and, and everything else that's going on? You know, my basic view of life, I think, is a lot less black and white. You know, when you're when you're young, it's easy to say this is right and that's wrong. This is black and this is white. And I I think I just see things in a lot more shades of gray. Now there are some things that are just black and white. What's happening in Ukraine is wrong. There's no black and white there. It's just wrong. Yeah. But um, for most of life, you know, I, I can see both sides. 
when you see the planet, I remember one time it was like, it, it hit me like, hey, there's Earth over there and I'm not on Earth. Like, that's my planet and I'm not on it. It was kind of an emotional moment. And uh, uh, and I thought, man, that planet's been around for a long time and it's going to be around for a long time. And so we just don't need to get so upset about things. Like, things are probably not, they're not as bad as they seem. They're probably not as good as they seem. So it just kind of helped me smooth out my um, my perspective about life. And you had no problem remaining busy up there. And what were some of the tasks? The best part about being an astronaut for me was that every day was different. Um, most jobs, I think, on Earth, like you have one job and that's what you do. But in space, you have to do the science and you have to fly the spaceship and you have to be the maintenance guy and you ha- and you do the food and you clean the place on Saturdays and you unpack the cargo ships and you have to do spacewalks and you do radio interviews. And um, I really enjoyed that. I like doing different things. I don't like doing the same thing every day. And so it was never the same thing. I was a crew medical officer. I was a crew. I wrote a book called uh, How to Astronaut. It's 51 short essays. So it's, it's like stuff you'd expect, stuff you wouldn't expect about space flight. It's, it's a fun book, but um, a big part of that book is like, man, there's a lot of different things that happen when you're in space. Um, I did the first ever filling. My crew, one of my crewmates filling that came out of his tooth. So we had to, we had to do a, a space uh, dentist filling, which is really, well, it, was, it was fun for me. I don't think it was fun for him. But, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much you have to be prepared for. As a matter of fact, I think it was you who said you had to cut the hair of another astronaut and that was more stressful than a spacewalk. Absolutely. There's a chapter in how to astronaut about that. Uh, uh-huh. I never thought I'd be a woman hairdresser, but that was, uh, <laughs> that was something I had to do. I, um, most women, there's a lot of women that fly in space. Most of them just let their hair go up in a ponytail. But um, my, Samantha, my Italian crewmate, and so that was not going to work for her. So I had to go to the um, hairdresser with her. She wouldn't let me launch until I went to her hairdresser on Earth. I spent two and a half hours and learning how to cut women's hair. Um, and then I had to do it in space. So it was very, very, very stressful. That is amazing. And what is the food like? Up there, I mean, it's. I know that we've moved beyond, you know, the '60s with space food sticks and tang. But w- what right. are you eating up there? Believe it or not, we have tang. You <laughs> <The> do. <first laughs> we have. I asked our NASA food. There's a lady named Vicky Claris. She's like our food expert, and she's like, "Yep, we're still using tang. Um, it's pretty good. A, a lot of the food that we have is similar to what's called MREs. The, the every right. military person that." That is the little green bags of food. You just rip it open and eat it, and it's good to go. Um, the we have like dehydrated, freeze dried food where it's kind of small and hard and crunchy, and you plug it into a machine. It fills it up with water, and then about ten minutes later, it turns into food. It's you know meat or vegetables or dehydrated like freeze dried strawberries was one of the my favorite fruits. Um, so it, it was pretty good. Some of the stuff is straight from the grocery store. So beef jerky yeah. or M&M's or pieces or, you know, like snacks that you can get in a, in a bag that will last for a few months. You can get those straight from the grocery store. So there's different kinds of food, but it's, it's, it's a lot better in Vega, a lot better at a restaurant there. Yeah, I'm sure. And before I let you go, because I wanted to know about this, tell me if you can about NASA's Parker Solar Probe, which by 2024, I I heard, will reach speeds of up to 430,000 miles per hour. It's amazing. So the basics of orbital mechanics 
very different than flying a jet there at Nellis Air Force Base. Yeah. Um, if you want to go faster, you have to go down. So the, the lower your orbit is closer to the Earth, or in Parker's case, closer to the sun, the faster you go. And Parker is basically going to the sun's upper atmosphere. So it's going really, really, really close to the sun. And as, it, as its orbit gets lower, as it, its orbit gets closer to the sun, it gets really fast. So, yeah, they're saying it's getting up to 430,000 miles an hour with, with respect to the sun, which is pretty fast. And its mission is to, what, check weather patterns and other issues that will, will affect us, radiation? Yes, absolutely. One of the biggest mysteries of the sun is why the upper atmosphere is so hot. The solar surface is about 5,000 degrees Celsius, but the upper atmosphere, the chronosphere, is like a million degrees, and nobody knows why. Um, so it's looking at that. It's gonna. It's analyzing these huge ejections of particles. The sun will launch like a trillion tons of particles out into space, and if they're if it launches it in the right direction, it, it'll hit Earth about a day later, and that causes problems for satellites. It causes problems for astronauts, um, and it causes problems for the electrical grid down here on the planet. So anyway, so it's just trying to study that and understand better um, space weather from the sun. So interesting. Retired NASA astronaut Terry Virts. By the way, the book, How to Astronaut, a fascinating read and is available wherever you get your books. And so great to talk to you in honor. Thank you so much. It was good to talk to you. Oh, I've got to pick up that book. And as far as that NASA probe nearing 430,000 miles per hour, that would be like going from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. in 20 seconds. Well, that finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.